Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like an olive sh- will be olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be a blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your grandchildren's children. Peace be on Israel. My name is Greg Sexton, and I serve as the care pastor here at Generation and uh, over the prayer team. And I would like to join Pastor Luis, Pastor Roger, in welcoming you, whether you're here with us physically in the Rex or whether you're joining us online. And it is my, uh, my prayer that God has already been speaking to you. I know he has been speaking to me through the worship. And I just pray that he'll continue to speak through the word. So today is week four of the series we started on January 8th, uh, Journey Up. We've been studying the Song of Ascents or the Psalms of Ascents from Psalm 120 through 134. And as we've said before, these psalms were traditionally sung. Uh, when the tribes of Israel were traveling three times a year... Um, for the major Jewish, uh, Jewish feasts that were celebrated in Jerusalem. And since Jerusalem was higher in elevation than most parts of Jerusalem, they, called, they were called the Songs or Psalms of Ascent, which of course means going up. So the three messages we've had before from Pastor, um, Pastors Luis, Roger, and Brian have been really amazing. Um, so I would really encourage you, if you were not here for all of those, to go to our webpage, go under Resources, and then you will see the messages that you can listen to and watch. Um, so if we will, uh, if you would, please pray with me as I start this morning. Lord, we just thank you for, Lord, you already speaking through the worship. Lord, we just thank you for amazing songs that were sung. And Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of praising you and worshiping you and giving you glory for all that you've done. Lord, you've always been good to me. You've always been good to all of us, Lord. But I know that you're not finished with me You're not finished with my brothers and sisters that are here today. And Lord, as we travel this life with you, we just pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that, Lord, you would empower us, Lord, to do your will and bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I just lift this message to you, Lord. I pray that you would speak through the words that you've given me. And I pray that uh, for all of us to be able to listen Lord, to be able to hear, to be able to understand, and to be able to respond. 
We love you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise for what you're going to do in us and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, we've covered 126. Uh, uh, by the way, if you have an outline, you can go ahead and take that out and follow along with me. Uh, the notes, and I'll try to make sure all the blanks are fill in, filled in. And um, so that may help you concentrate a little bit. We've covered Psalm 120 to 126 in the previous messages. And as uh, Joey read a few minutes ago, today we're covering Psalm 127 and 128. Um, some, some translations call this psalm a song of ascents for Solomon, written by David for Solomon. Some of them say of Solomon. I'm not sure which is right, but either way, there's a lot of wisdom in both of these psalms. And uh, so we're going to look at it, and it, it talks about, uh, you can see the title of my lesson is, What Are You Working For? And so um, God, in the beginning, God had a plan for work. In fact, in the very beginning in Genesis, it says that God was working. He was working to create the universe, and he said it was good. Uh, when he created Adam, he put them in the Garden of Eden. And he made them responsible. He actually made Adam initially responsible for tending the garden. It was work. After Eve was created, she helped him. But it wasn't strong. I mean, it wasn't stressful, excuse me. It wasn't stressful or hard because God was with them. And they wanted to fulfill his purpose for their lives. Their, their work helped the garden grow um, to provide for themselves to grow food, to grow, you know, fruit and all that they needed. Now, God created the trees. He's the one that provided the, the seeds and the trees, and they all sprouted up. And, and he provided the, the river to water um, the, the, the garden. And so God provided the, you know, the major stuff, but their job was to make sure that it was taken care of, to tend it, and to pick what they needed. God and man worked together to provide, and it was all good. Unfortunately, though, I don't know how long it was from that original, you know, when they were put in the garden. I don't know how long. We don't really know how long it was um, before all of a sudden there was a tempter who came and made them question God, question his goodness, question his provision, and they gave in, of course. We know the story. Sin entered. They were kicked out of the garden, and the land outside of the garden uh, no longer produced naturally the plants that they needed. The ground was cursed so that it was hard to produce food. Thorns and thistles, weeds started growing, and work became hard, weary, and stressful. Right? So um, God was still involved in the providing, but their part became much harder, and they still were supposed to work to help provide what they needed. So from the Bible in different areas, we see two wrong approaches to work, okay? So in Genesis 11, we read the first one. It says, now the whole earth was, had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man built. And the Lord said, Behold, 
They are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord there confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So the first approach we see to work, the first wrong approach, is working for a purpose separated from God's purpose for us. See, they were working for pride, they were working for identity, which can only come when we're in relationship with our creator, not what we do. You probably know people who work for those things today, and they're never satisfied and never feel good enough. So they keep on working harder and harder and harder. Their drive uh, for extreme production that uses and abuses other people, unfortunately, to be the richest and the top comes from this approach. It is the essence of the world system. I've got to be bigger. I've got to be better. I have to beat you. (laughs) And if necessary, I will use you and step on you to get to the top. The second approach that is wrong in the Bible that we find is in 2 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, starting in verse 6. So Paul is reaching out to the Thessalonians in this this book, and this is the second one, of course, to the church of Thessalonica. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked hard day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, um, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their living. You see, it is God's will for us to be productive in some way. Okay? Um, Serving him and serving his purposes. I understand some are unable to work because of disabilities and, and eventually most of us retire after working, you know, for money. Uh, for a certain number of years, but we can still be productive in serving somewhere as a volunteer or doing something in the church or in service organizations. And of course, traditionally, uh, in earlier times, ladies worked in the home. Oh, they were working, believe me, but they just weren't working for money. They were working in the home, taking care of the children, running the household, and the men worked outside the home, uh, providing the income and also helping uh, work around the house. And, you know, ladies, whichever choice you've made, you know, with your family based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit is okay. So, you know, uh, both roles are productive, needed, and serve his purposes. But all of us can be productive and need to be productive because that's the way God created it to be. He did not create us to be idle. You know, um, the, the old saying, which is not in the Bible, but it's true. You know, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. That is absolutely true. You know, if you're sitting around doing nothing, then you get bored and you get restless and then temptation comes. Laziness is not a virtue. 
not a virtue. If we're physically able, God intends us to be active doing something so that we may be able to impact people and spread his kingdom. So Psalm 127 reveals three qualities that make our work meaningful and fulfilling. So here's the first blanks in the front, at the bottom of the outline. Okay, number one, meaningful work is a partnership with God. Meaningful work is a partnership with God. Okay, in verse one it says, if God's grace doesn't help the builders, they will labor in vain to build the house. Okay, and in Matthew 11, Jesus invites us. This is an awesome invitation right here. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Now, he didn't say you'll stop working, right? He didn't say they're, stop, they're stopping laboring. But he said, I will give you rest. And this is, this is where we get the you know, partnership part. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you've still got a burden, you've still got the yoke, but you've got Jesus carrying it with you. That's when our work becomes, one, one, the first place where our work becomes meaningful. Now, several, maybe a month ago, I'm not sure exactly when, I can't remember, but Pastor Roger mentioned the practice of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a lay brother, a monk in the Carmelite Monastery in Paris in the 1600s. He told you that already. And it's a great book that I highly recommend. I read it years ago and every now and then pick it back up just for reminders because it's really, got really good stuff. Brother Lawrence talks about doing menial tasks as a monk while simultaneously praying and talking to God. I am telling you, I practice this myself when I'm doing jobs and it's so awesome. Because not only are you edified when you spend time with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he knows how to do everything. And he can help you, help you know what to do when you're stuck in the middle of a task and don't know what to do. Now, Roger, Pastor Roger, is an amazing handyman, okay? He can do anything. He's done it all, and he can do it and does it regularly and does it amazingly. Um, I am not that gifted in that particular area, okay? And, um, you know, there's times when, of course, you know, initially, if it's something that I think I can figure out, at least I'll make an attempt first to do it myself, Okay, and through God's grace, you know, usually I'll be able to figure it out and do it unless, you know, I, it's just us. I don't have the materials or the uh, equipment to do the job. But there's been many times um, when I'm in the middle of something and something is stuck. <laughs> you know, a bolt is stuck. A pipe is stuck. Something is stuck. And, you know, you're like, you do all you can, but you don't want to break it because then you got to go buy something else, you know, go back to the store. And so you're like struggling, struggling, struggling. And I, I'm just like, okay, Jesus, please help me, Lord. If I'm doing it wrong, show me. <laughs> but please help me. Give me the strength that I need or loosen it for me. And nine times out of ten, he answers the prayer. Somehow either a thought comes to my head or, you know, or... I give it that extra push or I go get a different wrench or whatever, and it opens. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So 
It, so he knows how to do things, all right? And, um, and you know, like one of the things that I love to do in, in the summer is uh, I have about an acre and a third lot, so I have a riding, you know, lawnmower. So uh, I get my old lawnmower. <laughs> it's old, decrepit like me. But anyhow, I get it out and get it going, and then I have my headphones on, and I put on worship music, and me and Jesus mow the lawn. And I have a great time. You know, the worship music's playing, and I don't have to think about what I'm doing. I just have to follow the pattern, you know. And I have a good time. And it's just, it's refreshing because it's about an hour, you know, hour and a half maybe to do it. Um, and it's another time of worship and, and, and relationship with the Lord. So I'm an elementary music teacher during the week. And I teach nine classes a day usually uh, from pre-K all the way to fifth grade. And you better believe I pray. Uh, most of you know I get to school early in the morning and pray through the building, pray for all of my classes. Um, I, I sit down and look at my roles, pray for all my kids, kids that are really challenging. I pray for them, especially hard. And then I surrender myself. I'm like, Jesus, you know, I can't do this without you. Come Holy Spirit, teach through me, bring your kingdom through me. I need you. Guess what? The day is so much easier when I have time to do that, okay? My patience is so much better. It's, it's just, I'm just telling you. So, number one, make sure that for meaningful work, that it's a partnership with God. Now, he intends for all of us to work, and he has you in that job for a reason, Okay? As I'm praying through the hallway at my school, I'm praying for the teachers, I'm praying for the kids, and I am praying for God's will to be done in those hallways, in those classrooms, okay? You can do the same thing wherever you work. Pray for your boss. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your customers, whoever those people are. Pray for the building that you're in, Okay? He listens. He will be there. He will be with you because our work is not just about the money that we get. We are in this world not to serve ourselves. We are in this world to serve him and his kingdom. And he needs you to be salt and light, and me, all of us, to be salt and light, even if it's, you know, even if you can't share, you know, publicly with someone, the gospel, okay, you can be happy, you can be fulfilled, you can be excellent in your work, but you don't have to do it by yourself, okay? So the second thing about meaningful work in the second blank there is it is balanced. Our work life is balanced. What do I mean? Well, in verse 2 up there in Psalm 127, says, it is really senseless to work so hard from early morning to late at night, toiling to make a living for fear of not having enough. God can provide for you or for his devoted lovers even while they sleep. Now, that's from the Passion Translation. God can provide for you even when you sleep. Okay, how does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> but he does. Okay, he can provide for you even when you're not physically doing something is the point. Okay, 
So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious and stressed, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now this doesn't mean, like the second Thessalonians may have misinterpreted this, this doesn't mean that he's telling us to sit back and do nothing. Again, like some in that church. Okay? So, our work life is balanced. Um, most of you, well, if you are of age like me, you probably remember a man um, who was very powerful and important named Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was an eccentric American business magnate who lived from 1905 to 1976. He amassed a great fortune in the airline industry and other ventures. Uh, ventures. He was married tri uh, twice. Uh, but had no children, and in his later years, Hughes suffered from chronic pain from a plane crash and obsessive-compulsive disorder. From 1966 to 1976, he lived in a succession of hotels because he didn't trust anyone, he didn't want to be in one place at a, uh, you know, for too long. According to Wikipedia, he reportedly died in an aircraft after he left his penthouse at a hotel in Acapulco and was headed for the Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas. He was unrecognizable. His six-foot-four six body, I'm, I'm about six-three, um, weighed 93 pounds. His hair, beard, and nails were abnormally long and unkempt. He died of kidney failure, but was also suffering from malnutrition and covered in bed sores because he was so picky about what he would eat um, it, you know, and he wouldn't let anybody around him to take care of him. So the coroners found five broken hypodermic needles in his arms that had been used to inject codeine in his muscles because of his chronic pain. He was a recluse, surrounded only by his servants, and in his later years, with no wife, no children. He was materially a billionaire and had done amazing things in this world. Uh, in the, especially in the airline industry. But he was practically, or he was, a pauper from a biblical standpoint. See? So our work life, work life needs to be balanced with our family life. We're going to get to that in just a second. Number three, meaningful work is your not, not your ultimate source of provision. 
Work is not your ultimate source of provision. In other words, you're not so focused on your job that you are out of balance, like we talked about in number two. Matthew 6, but seek, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Working is not just, like I said earlier, about making money, but serving him in the workplace. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Psalm 127, you can turn your outline over now. Psalm 127 ends telling us about the treasure that God provides that outlasts us. Okay? He says in verse 3, he says, Children are God's love gift. They are heaven's generous reward. Children born to a young couple will one day rise to protect and provide for their parents. Happy will be the couple who has many of them. A household full of children will bring will not bring shame on your name, but victory when you face your enemies, for you, your offspring will have influence and honor to prevail on your behalf. And, of course, a few minutes ago, um, Joey read from the, um, from the ESV uh, translation, which talks about, and the King James Version also talks about children being like arrows in a quiver and how blessed it is if your quiver is full. So, true treasure. Three things that we know about this treasure. Number one, children are a blessing, not a burden. Verse three, children's, uh, children are God's love gift. They are heaven's generous reward. Charles Spurgeon says about this verse, this points to another mode of building up a house, namely by leaving descendants to keep our name and family alive upon the earth. Without this, what is a man's purpose in accumulating wealth? To what purpose does he build, him, build a house if he has none in his household to hold the house after him? What boots is it is, is that he is the possessor of broad acres if he has no heir? Yet in this matter, a man is powerless without the Lord. The great Napoleon, with all his sinful care on this point, could not create a dynasty. Hundreds of wealthy persons would give half their estates if they could hear the cry of a babe born of their own bodies. Children are a heritage which Jehovah himself must give, or a man will die childless, and thus his house will be unbuilt. Now, I want to talk about something which is controversial. Okay? And as I talk about this, I want you to understand that I am full of grace, and we're full of grace, and we love all of you if, even if you've been caught in the web that I'm about to talk about, okay? According to uh, Wikipedia and, well, excuse me, World, Worldometer, they're quoting the World Health Organization. Every year in the world, there are approximately, or around, 73 million induced abortions. This corresponds to approximately 200,000 abortions per day. Now, ladies, if you've had an abortion, if you're watching online, if you're here, please understand I am not attempting to condemn you in any way. I know that's a hard decision, 
However, I have to say the truth. And we have to stand on the truth. Okay? This is not God's will. I could use stronger language. Murder. Now, uh, my oldest son, Adam, who you know, our pastor of Family Ministries, um, he was born in 1986. So maybe, I don't know, six months after he was born, um, our church, the church that I was attending at the time, um, that I was actually serving at, but I was also, uh, had grown up there, showed Silent Scream. Now, if you don't know what that is, Silent Scream is a film of an abortion. And it's, you know, you can see it's an ultrasound. And I, you know, started to play. I couldn't watch it. I mean, Adam was just born. He was our firstborn. I had to leave. I couldn't take it. Okay? Just, you know, seeing that baby, you know, you see the thing coming into the uterus or the womb or the sac, and the baby swims to the other side in fright. You can see it's horrible. So, again, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. Um, And I personally, and I'm sure all of us, most of us, are so thankful for the Supreme Court decision that reversed um, Roe versus Wade, limiting abortion as a a national right. Um, And I'm also thankful for state governments that are limiting it. And again, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, exceptions and that kind of thing. As Psalm 139, uh, Pastor Roger read earlier, God created those babies in the womb. He put them together, every part of them. And for us to arrogantly, and I know, again, ladies usually are not arrogantly, it's the doctors I'm talking about, arrogantly take them apart in their greatest place of safety is absolutely evil to me. Okay? So, please, again, I hope you're not offended with what I'm saying, but this is biblical. This is what the Bible says. Children are a gift from God. They're a blessing and not a burden. And what God gives you, he will provide for. So, you know, if you know someone who's considering that, please, please, please help them. And if you have been involved in that, God bless you. I'm not trying to condemn you. And there is grace, and, it, you know, you come to Jesus, you confess it, you repent of it, it's forgiven. Okay? So, in love, children are a blessing, not a burden. Point two. Children are worth the investment of our love, time, and resources. Verse 4 and 5, children born to a young couple will one day rise to protect and provide for their parents. Happy will be the couple who has many of them. A house full of children will not bring shame on your name, but victory when you face your enemies. For your offspring will have influence and honor to prevail on your behalf. In Matthew 19, Jesus says in verse 15, or it says in verse 15, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray a blessing on them. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. 
Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it takes an investment. It takes an investment of time, an investment of love, an investment of resources to raise children. I'm thankful I have raised three of them, and they now are raising their own. And they are a blessing. And, um, you know, the short, the short time that you spend raising them is so much, is so eclipsed by the time after when they're such a blessing to you. So parents, when you get down and you say, God, I don't know how I can do this. Number one, he'll give you the strength, he'll give you the power, he'll give you the resources. I don't know how I can do this. God help me. He's right there with you. But let me tell you, it is worth it. It is worth it to invest time, money, love into your children. So, Please just, you know, we, we pray for our kids, we pray for our grandkids, I know you do, and we pray for our children here, and our church, thankfully, we, you, our pastors, you, believe in that, in investing in our children, and if you're going to be, uh, this is just a promotion, if you have children that are in our kids' ministry, I would encourage you to stay for this afternoon and see what all you can do, because it is an investment especially to raise them in the Lord, to know Jesus, to be a part of the family. You know, you've got to invest time. You've got to invest, and you've got to live your faith in front of your children to represent him well. You know, you've, you probably have known, you know, there's the, um, the kind of joke about, you know, preacher's kids being wild, okay? And unfortunately, that sometimes, you know, that's a, it's a joke. And sometimes they may be wild running around the building, but they don't mean wild like, you know, forever. But, but, um, but unfortunately, there are some of, you know, great preachers, great evangelists whose children do not follow in their footsteps, unfortunately. And, you know, it's, it's really sad. So it is an investment. And even in the ministry, we have to be careful to keep that balance, too, with our family life, okay? God doesn't want you to pour into church, pour, 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 pour into church all day, all night, and have no time for your family because that's when you have that situation where the kids don't follow because it looks like it's all about a job and not about a relationship and about, you know, following Jesus. So it must be an investment. There must be an investment. So what I'm saying is this new curriculum that we just got has resources to help you lead your children to Jesus, tell them about Jesus, spend time teaching them the Bible in conjunction with what they're doing upstairs right now. So you can stay in sync with them and during the week reinforce what all has been taught on Sunday. So that's what they're going to be teaching you or telling you about upstairs, this new curriculum and all the resources that you can use to, to reinforce that during the week. Okay, band, um, you can come up, and I know I'm really early, but usually I go long. <laughs> Today I'm going to balance it out. So anyhow, band's going to come on up. The third point, 
I've still got some things to say, so who knows? Might go a little while longer. Third point is, children continue the legacy of our family and faith. So children are a blessing, not a burden. Children are worth the investment of our time, resources, and energy. And children continue the legacy of our family and faith. Psalm 78, I want to read. Um, Psalm 78 has um, some scary things to say, but it gives us some encouragement. This is starting in verse 1. Give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Here's the important part. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Children continue our legacy if we live our faith in front of our children so that it's not just something we do on Sunday. Oh, we're going to get dressed up. We're going to go put on our best, Sunday best, go to church, go through all the motions, you know, sing the songs, listen to the sermon, leave the door. Oh, glad that's over. Go to lunch. Rest of the week's all about us. Sunday. Oh, I got to get up and go to church again. Children see that. Children see it. So, live your faith to your children. When you have needs in your family, things are going on, things are not good. Say, hey guys, we're going to pray about this. Let's get together and pray about the situation. Be honest about your struggles, but also include God in the picture. Say, you know, we're going through a hard time right now, guys, but I know that God is going to provide for us. Do you know what he did the last time we had this situation? You tell him, hey, this is how God has worked in our life in the past. He's always come through. He's always been faithful. He's always been good. So you have to have these conversations with your children. In addition to bringing them to church, it's got to be more than just on Sundays, okay? They will continue the legacy if you invest in them. Now, one the, the, that part of, um, at the end of 127, it says, children are like, children are like arrows in a quiver. May you be full of them. Okay, arrows are used, you know, to hit a target. Okay? So, but arrows, number one, if you're going to shoot them and hit the target, they have to be straight. The arrows have to be straight. And number two, you have to aim those arrows in the right direction. Okay? So for those children, for our children to continue our legacy of faith in our family and keep going, 
We've got to raise them straight. And we've also got to point them in the right direction. You know, Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Straight. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, in the middle, he may have a few, you know, hiccups. But you train them right. You teach them about Jesus. You teach them about the Word. You teach them the Word. You teach them about God. You teach them how good he is, how wonderful it is to serve him. You honor him. Let your faith be real in front of your children. Set them in the right direction. And, you know, encourage them in their destiny. Whatever God's plan is for their life, encourage them. You know, when you see things, wow, you're really good. I bet in that particular thing, I think God could really use you in that if, what he, if that's what he calls you to do. So encourage them, strengthen them, provide for them, provide the resources they need. Because they're going to continue whatever you're doing. You see, it's like if I'm going this direction and my children are with me, guess what? When you're out of the picture, they're going to continue going in that direction. But if you say, oh, this is the way, this is the way we should go, but you walk in a different direction, what are they going to do? They're going to walk in the direction you're going in if it wasn't real. And I'm not saying it's not real, but you've got to be mindful of these things that we're not in a religion here. We're in a relationship. We're in a relationship with a Father who loves us and provides for us, who makes us productive and gives us productive things to do, gives us people to invest in. You know, me as a school teacher, you know, I've, you know, at, <laughs> Can I say I never get frustrated? Absolutely not. I can't say that. Is it hard sometimes? Absolutely. Um, are there some times when certain children are missing and you're like, oh, thank God. Yes. However, you know, as I've been doing this now for 26 years, I'm like, God, thank you for the privilege of investing in children. You know, I teach, this year I teach in our school, I'm at Jim Allen Elementary School, I teach every class at least one time a day except for one in the whole school from pre-K through fifth grade. I have another teacher who teaches with me who teaches, you know, some of them the same ones and the other ones that I don't teach. But, you know, 600, we have over 650 kids every year that I get to spend nine months with for six years of their life. What an awesome platform to show Jesus. Whatever you do, you have a platform to the people around you. Your work is a blessing. If he's your partner, if you're seeking him, if you're seeking to invest in them and pray for them and serve them, that's your boss, that's your coworkers, that's your customers. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read Psalm 128 again. I want you to just listen to this. And Joey read from the um, ESV. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. 
says, how joyous are those who love the Lord. Bow low before him. And the other translation says, those who fear him. Ready to obey him. Your reward will be prosperity, happiness, and well-being. Your wife will bless your heart and your home. Your children will bring you joy as they gather around your table. Yes, this is God's generous reward for those who love him. May the Lord bless you out of his Zion glory. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem throughout your lifetime. And may you be surrounded by your grandchildren. Happiness to you and happiness to Israel. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.